Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today for this Friday broadcast. And we've been going through various beliefs that every Christian should believe. And we're on belief number eight, talking about compassion and how compassion should be ruling our lives. You know, as you look at our world, it has become less compassionate. Why in the world has our world become less compassionate? Crime is running rampant. I'll just give you one example, okay? On Monday, March 21st, 2022, a 73-year-old grandmother died of, of a violent carjacking in New Orleans. Local authorities reported that Linda Freckley was jumped by teenagers in the afternoon of that Monday in a mid-city neighborhood of New Orleans. After shopping in the area, this grandmother was attacked. As she was attacked, they jumped into her car and she pulled off and her arm was severed in the attack and she ended up dying. What a terrible thing. Why is it that we have less divine compassion? Well, there's four things that we have forsaken. John MacArthur calls these the four divine restraints. Let me summarize them real quickly. And when we don't have these restraints, we lose our compassion. Number one, we have rejected the knowledge of God. You know, God has revealed himself through creation. He has revealed himself through our conscience, but we have rejected that knowledge of God. We see the beauty of creation, and instead of acknowledging that God created it, we start worshiping his creation. Number two, we have also rejected the law of God. We've rejected the knowledge of God given to us through creation, We've rejected the law of God. That's God speaking to us through our conscience. You know, our conscience is that part of us that says, there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong. You ever get in a fight with somebody? I know this is probably not a group that fights a whole lot, right? But I remember as a, as a kid, I used to get in fights all the time. I remember we were at school, right? Everybody circle around, oh, there's a fight, right? And, uh, and I oftentimes find myself in the middle of a fight. I don't know. I guess I was one of these guys that incited uh, anger in people. But I knew when I was in the middle of a fight, there was a certain spot that I would stop, right? Once I defeated my opponent, I didn't have to beat him to death, right? I, I won the fight. That's when you stop. The conscience would tell us, okay, this fight is over. You've won. Back off, right? When a conscience becomes severed, and that's what happens to a culture that rejects knowledge of God. They reject God's law. They become numb to what is right and wrong. And as a result of becoming numb to what is right or wrong, we are in a situation where we'll do something that is wrong and our conscience won't stop us. God gives us another line of defense. He gives us the knowledge of God. He gives us the law of God. And he says, okay, I'm going to put you in a family. The breakdown of the family, the traditional family, has contributed to the increase of evil. Now, and I don't know if, if you remember when you were going to school, but I know that, that if I got in trouble at school, I was also trouble when I got home. My family made sure that I behaved myself. As a matter of fact, as I was growing up, my dad reminded me, your last name is Corbett. Don't you dare be a disgrace to the family name. The breakdown of the traditional family. You know, those of you who know me a while know that I serve as a chaplain at Indian Creek Correctional Center, and, and I have interviewed literally hundreds of inmates. Uh, through my 20-plus years of chaplaincy. And as I talk to these guys, it is very rare that I will talk to a guy who's incarcerated who had a strong family relationship. The traditional family breaking down has contributed to evil. Well, God gives us one more line of defense to keep us from going crazy, right? 
He does it through the government. Now, by the time it gets down this far, society has smashed all restraints and we become lawless. And as a result of becoming lawless, the state has to drop in and bring about order. When I think about how we have lost our compassion, God has allowed us as a nation to be the strongest nation in the world, but yet we're losing our love for one another. We're losing our passion. How do I get it back? In Psalm 82, we're asked a few questions. How will you defend the unjust and how will you show partiality to the wicked? And then verse 3 says, Psalm 82, Defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods, small letter G, the gods know nothing, they understand nothing, they walk about in darkness, all the fountains of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Here we are reminded that God one day is going to eradicate all of these false gods. God is going to judge the earth. How do we become compassionate? So I want to answer a couple questions today in the broadcast. Number one, what is compassion? Number two, who needs it? And number three, how do I become it? So what is compassion? Who needs it the most? How do I become it? Well, compassion comes from a Latin term that actually means to feel with. That's the idea, to feel with, okay? In the Greek, it has an even deeper meaning. It means to feel and be moved in my inward parts. So pity is to feel for something. If you feel pity for them, we would say that you wish things were different for them in their lives. You would change things if you could, but you're not necessarily experiencing what they're experiencing. You're not feeling their pain. You're not feeling their anguish. You're not feeling their sorrow or their loss. You're just feeling the pain or trying to empathize with them. To have compassion is to feel with them. It's to feel what they are feeling. It's to go through what they are going through. Now, Jesus lived out his compassion in John chapter 11, standing out at the grave where Lazarus died, and Jesus is there weeping. He's not just feeling sorry for the sisters of Lazarus, but he's feeling what they're feeling. He's sharing in their pain. He's sharing in their grief. He's weeping as they weep. That is what compassion is. Compassion is feeling what somebody else is feeling. It's feeling with them. Now, why is compassion such a high priority for God's people? Well, first of all, God in his word commands it, right? Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear with one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Some translations will literally translate that verse to mean forbear one another's burdens, and by doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. Again and again in scripture, it commands us to do this. Now, Jesus called us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's over and over again, loving your neighbors like you love yourself. The same way you love yourself, you love your neighbors. In John 13, Jesus tells us that we are to wash the feet of others. Now, that was a culturally way to show compassion in Jesus' day. Now, we demonstrate the reality of God's love in a different way in our culture. Uh, We shake hands, we embrace. Uh, We don't 
necessarily wash feet every time we see people, but we embrace them. Number two, the Bible commands it, but number two, compassion is such an important biblical value that it demonstrates the reality of our biblical faith. It shows other people that our faith is real. It's genuine. It is relevant to people where they're hurting and where they're living. You see, compassion in many ways is what people need the most. Mother Teresa said this, loneliness is the great epidemic of Western society. There's this sense of loneliness because we are so ingrained with individualism. Because we are are, are striving to be an individualist, right? Self-supporting, self-sustaining, right? I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. Because we are so ingrained with this mindset to be individuals, loneliness has now become an epidemic. You see, we need people. And when people feel that somebody feels with them, not just pity for them, the compassion with them, that means that, that it's something deeply rooted in the human soul. That's meeting them at the place where they most need to be felt and most need to be cared about. So let's talk about who needs compassion. We talked about what compassion is. It's actually feeling with somebody. Who needs compassion the most? Well, according to Psalm 82, those who are abandoned, those who are homeless, those who have lost something, maybe they've lost justice, right? They have no legal standing. The psalmist says, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Way back when President Ronald Reagan was alive and in office, he declared March 21st as National Single Parent Day. Now, it's worth noting that America has one of the highest levels of single parent families living with children in the world. About 30% of American families are having children under the age of 18 and they're living in a single parent home. Now, just to put that in perspective, that is the equivalent of 10 million households that are single parent families. You know, the share of the American family with children living with a single parent. It has tripled since 1965. The large majority of the single-parent families, approximately 75%, are headed by a mother only. In 2020, nearly 19 million children. That's the the amount of 25% of all children living in the United States. 19 million children, one-fourth of the children in the United States, were living in a single-parent family. That percentage is now nearly three times what it was in 1960. It was 9%. So we are to reach out to those who have been felt and are abandoned through justice by being homeless, who are who have been abandoned and left alone. There's a second way that we can reach out to those who need compassion. We reach out to those who are abandoned, but then we also reach out to those who are afflicted. I would call these the ones who are helpless. And James says, you know, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and don't have daily food, and you say to them, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? Uh, So we reach out to those who are afflicted, those who are helpless, those who have suffered something. To be destitute means I have no way of support, no means of support. 
Maintain the right of the afflicted. Maintain the right of the destitute, says the psalmist. In Mark chapter 5, we see there was a woman, and this woman had a, is what the Bible calls a, a discharge of blood for 12 years. In other words, she was bleeding for 12 years. Some commentators would say that she had a menstrual cycle that continued for 12 years. And after she had suffered under many physicians, she went to a bunch of different doctors. She had spent all that she had, but she never got any better. As a matter of fact, she grew worse, said verse 26. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and then touched his garment. For she said, if I can touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Now, Jesus knew who touched him. He wasn't asking that question because he didn't know. He wanted the crowd to know, and he wanted them to see the compassion that he had on this woman. And then the disciples said to him, You, you know, you're in this big crowd, and, and people are pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. Now, as I look at this passage of scripture, I'm reminded that Jesus gave the tremendous example of helping the afflicted, helping those who had no means of support. She was healed. When you look at an incurable condition, that constantly brings about pain and suffering and ongoing stress. We are to show compassion on them. You know, I have a dear friend whose son was in a terrible accident that left him paralyzed from basically the neck down. He does have some slight movement with his arms, but other than that, he is basically going to be confined to a wheelchair the rest of his life. I think about that type of person needing compassion. Uh, That person is helpless and is going to need help the rest of his life. That is who we're called upon to have compassion on those who have an ongoing condition. There's somebody else who needs compassion. Not only those who are abandoned, those who are homeless, not only those who are afflicted, those who are helpless, but we also should be showing compassion to those who are abused those who have become helpless. The psalmist reminds us to reach out to those who can't help themselves. Maybe those who have given up on something. Maybe those who have become victims who have no means of security. Verse 4 reminds us to rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. We are to reach out to those who have been abused. Ephesians 4 reminds us to be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, for God's sake, forgave you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do, and more in the light of what they suffer. Random acts of kindness being filled with compassion to those who are abused, those who are afflicted, those who have been forsaken by our culture and by our society. You may be asking yourself, well, how can I do this? Well, I want to show you four ways in which God shows us His compassion. 
We used to sing that song, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And that's actually a song that is taken from Psalm 8. Psalm number 8 shows us ways in which we can be compassionate because God has been compassionate to us. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and of infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. David cries out in verse number three, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and you crown them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all the flocks, all the herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. You know, there's four ways in which God shows his compassion to us. Let's look at them one at a time. Number one, with his fingers. The fingers of God model God's creation. God has taken us with his fingers. And he has formed us and he has created us, showing that he loves us and he models us in the eye of his own image. God has created us with his fingers. So we can use our fingers to be compassionate to others. When I think about how our fingers can be used, our fingers are are used to bring about a creation. God gives us hands to put things together. Are you using your hands to be compassionate? You know, right now I'm in the process of putting together a team of people to help a, a church in our area. It's a very small church, and it's a church that is is meeting, actually it's so small, it's actually meeting in a home, and uh, and this home was converted into a church building, but uh, this home is very old, and termites have infested this particular house, and, and so we're getting a team together, and we're going to take our hands, and, and we're going to go over there, and we're going to redo what the termite damage has done and, and rebuild that wall so that this church can gather together. That's what God does for us. He takes his fingers, and he creates us, and he puts us back together. Well, number two is the, the mind of God, we find in verse number four, where David says, what is mankind that you are mindful of him and humans that you care for them? We can be compassionate because just as God thinks about us, he's thinking about us. He's thinking about what we're doing. As a matter of fact, when you were a speck in your mother's eye, he was thinking about you. We can be compassionate by thinking well of others, thinking about ways that we can bless others, caring for others. And in number three, we see that God is compassionate with the way that he has his hands in control of the affairs of our lives. Verse number six reminds us that you made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. You see, God gives us this wonderful opportunity to be involved in his creation, to be involved in controlling things. And he talks about those who are rulers over the works of his hands, how they use that to protect those who are more vulnerable. And then number four, we see the compassion of God as we see it in the feet of God. Verse number six, the psalmist says that you are are ruling over the works of your hands and you put everything under your feet, the feet of God. Some say this is talking about the classification where God puts everything, all the flocks and the herds, and they 
They have a particular place where they stay and a particular place where they reside. The birds are in the sky and the, and the fish are in the sea and they, they swim about the paths of the sea. And David says, Lord, how majestic is your name? And, and we can be involved in being compassionate toward others as we become the feet of God. And we help people to excel in the place where they most evidently will excel. You know, the world needs compassionate people, loving, tender-hearted people. You know, my life has been changed because of the compassion of others. I think about a professional football player, Mr. Thomas. Demarius Thomas, who unfortunately passed away back in December of 2021, when he was just a, a little kid, you know, his mother was arrested and sent to prison when, when he was only 11 years old. And he said, you know, at that time, my, my father was in the military, Thomas writes, and my mother and my stepfather and my grandmother were all locked up. He said, from that day on, I was basically an orphan. I came home from school that day and I thought, but where do I go now? He eventually grew up and made it through high school and made it through college. He became an outstanding wide receiver. But listen to how Thomas described what helped him most. He said, people think orphans are kids whose parents have died, but 80% of the orphans in the United States have at least one parent who is alive somewhere. There are millions of kids just like me across the United States and hundreds of millions all over the world. We rely on the kindness and the couches of others to get us through the day. He said, I had a multitude of help through high school coaches, through a multitude of college coaches. He said, I had deacons and pastors and aunties and uncles and friends. These are people that would help me when I slept up. Whether or not they knew me by name, some did and some didn't. He says, I talk a lot to kids who have parents in prison or who just left them and abandoned them when they were young for one reason or another. He says, I know the anger. I know the pain. I, I know the fear especially the loneliness. They just want somebody to say, I really care about you. I really love you. But that doesn't happen enough. So they get into trouble. As men, as athletes especially, we don't like to talk about love. We talk about brotherhood and all that, but not love. But it's the most important thing in a child's life. More important than the kind of school you go to or what neighborhood you live in, or even if you grew up around drugs or violence. If you are loved, you'll make it out. James says, you know, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or without daily food. If one of you says to them, go, I I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? You see, when we're filled with compassion, we reach out to those who are abandoned. We reach out to those who are abused. We reach out to those who are afflicted. That's what compassion is all about. You see, this is actually a command that is given to us by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.32, who reminds us to be compassionate to one another. We're also reminded by Peter that we're to be sympathetic and, and to be compassionate one to another. When we have the opportunity to reach out in compassion, we should take advantage of it. We have the opportunity to be a blessing to so many people. Are you taking advantage of that opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else today? 
There are so many ways that you can get involved with your church by sharing the gospel through compassion, through random acts of kindness. Well, today is Friday. It's another end of another week. As I remind you on most Fridays, it's Fridays, but Sunday's coming. Maybe one of the ways that you can show compassion this weekend is by going to a church and going with an opportunity or looking for an opportunity to be a servant. You know, churches are always looking for help. Not only are businesses lacking help, but churches need your support. Churches need your compassion. I think that God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel is through the compassion of the local church. Why don't you come and worship the Lord this weekend and then look for an opportunity to serve and be a blessing to your community. I'd like to invite you to be part of Hickory Ridge Community Church. We meet Sundays at 9 o'clock or 1045. We'll make you feel right at home. We'll give you an opportunity to get to know how we uh, serve our community. There are a plethora of opportunities to serve through the local church. Well, thanks for listening today to the broadcast. I'm praying for you. If you have a prayer request, would you please send that to me at 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.